What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I am excited to bring you Dr. Brooke Goldner. She is a board-certified medical doctor, best-selling author of three books, including Goodbye Lupus and Goodbye Autoimmune Disease, and creator of the Hyper Nourishing Protocol for Reversal of Autoimmune Disease. I always love talking to medical doctors who have found a way to incorporate and integrate dietary changes and lifestyle practices into their practice. And Dr. Goldner has done just that, starting with her own journey through lupus and now impacting so many nationwide and worldwide with the approach that she takes with autoimmune disease, but also just chronic disease in general. I know that you will find so much value in this. Enjoy. All right. I am super excited to bring Dr. Brooke Goldner on the podcast today. I learned of her work through a couple different routes, but I am always looking for stories that are a little bit outside of the box and I feel like hers is. And I was really excited that she was willing to come on and grace us with her insight. So thanks for being with us, Dr. Goldner. My pleasure. Thank you. Of course. So before we dive into your story, which I know we'll, we'll unpack in many, many ways, I always ask my guests, what does true wellness mean to you? So for me, wellness is a holistic idea that if you have true wellness, then you have a balance of health, both nutritionally, uh, medically, and emotionally, spiritually. So uh, in every program that I do with people, even though I'm a medical doctor, I'm always looking after not only how do you eat and what's your overall health in terms of your, you know, looking at your labs and how you feel physically, but also how do you feel emotionally? How connected are you? And when you have balance and health in all of those areas, I would consider that total wellness. Yes, I love that. I love the comprehensive approach. And I love that you bring in the traditional medical training, but that you tie all of that in. So that's really fantastic. And we'll dive more into how that all came to be. So let's just start with your story. And I know, you know, there's a lot of details to your story. So um, you tell it however you'd like, but I would just love to kind of dive into, you know, Brooke as a teenager and how illness kind of showed up for you and then how, how that kind of translated into the work that you do and the approach that you take in medicine. Absolutely. So yeah, before I wore a white coat, I wore a patient gown. And that started fairly young with me. 14 years old, I started getting migraines. And I remember my mom dragging me around. I was getting EEGs and MRIs and trying to figure out why I suddenly would have these debilitating migraines where I would be in bed for a week vomiting from pain. Uh, Couldn't find anything. So they gave me painkillers. And so when I would get a migraine, I'd take painkillers. Then at 16, I started getting joint pain where uh, different joints would start hurting. It started with my shoulder. I'll never forget it because my shoulder was hurting so badly I could barely raise my fork. And yet the next day, the same debilitating pain that I thought could never, it was gonna take weeks to go away. It hurt, the worst pain I'd ever felt uh, was gone, but my left shoulder hurt. And I remember thinking I was crazy. I said, no, it has to be the right shoulder because I, I eat with my right side, but how could it move to the left side? 
And then it moved to my knee and started all over my body, my big toe, my, my thumb, it would just move all over the place, an excruciating pain. And then after that, um, I started getting rashes that would show up often with my migraines. And I had just across my face, you know, and you're a teenager, what is this? This is acne, what is, what is going on with my face? And so all these kind of things started happening all together. And one day I had just gone back from being in the pool all day with uh, my best friend who was visiting. And I came home and I got a horrible migraine. I started throwing up. And when I came out of the bathroom, that rash was bright, bright red on my face. And my dad looked at me and went, okay, this is, there's something really wrong here. And I always make fun of him for having dad science. You know, my, my dad knows just enough science to make things up that sound like science, but they're dad science. Um, but he was actually right here. And what he said was, you know, I think the skin is a window to your health and there's something going on here. And I laughed it off then, but I actually teach that now. Uh, absolutely true. It's like your check engine light, you know, that you can see. So we went to the emergency room and my doctor met me there and finally was able to put together all these weird symptoms I was having. And because the rash I had is called a male or a butterfly rash that's typical for a disease called lupus. So finally, my doctor realized that that's what I had. I had this autoimmune disease. And not only did I have the joint pain and the rashes that come with lupus, but I also was in stage four kidney failure at the time and had no idea. So the next day, I'm getting a kidney biopsy. I'm in surgery to get a biopsy. And then the day after that, I'm seeing a nephrologist who sits down. My mother and my grandmother was also there and tells us that I'm six months away from complete kidney failure and I could either end up on dialysis or dead within six months if I don't submit to really intense medical treatments, including experimental treatments that they had in mind to try to stop the lupus from destroying my kidneys. So it was just a, you know, it went from I, I get headaches and some joint pains to facing down my own demise all at 16 years old. So at the time, the experimental treatment was using chemotherapy. Um, now they still do it. They use chemotherapy for lupus. And lupus is an autoimmune disease, meaning your immune system no longer has the right, uh, it's, not, it's no longer tracking what it's supposed to be doing, like fighting infections. Instead, it's destroying your own internal organs. And that's why lupus is such a devastating illness, because it can attack kidneys, your brain, your heart, your lungs. Very, very scary illness. So what they were thinking was, well, whenever we give chemotherapy to cancer patients, the side effect is their immune system stops working. And that's why people with cancer often die of infections, right? Because the chemotherapy shut off their immune system and now they have no white count, they can't fight an infection. So they thought, what if we do it on purpose to people with lupus, where we give them chemotherapy to try to shut off the immune system and maybe that can save their life. But back then it was experimental. They didn't know how much to give. So nowadays when I see people who get chemo, it's usually for a few treatments. I had it for two years straight. So uh, they would give me the chemotherapy and my kidney numbers would come back up. My immune system would look a bit better. Then they would stop it and it would all go back. And so they kept going and kept going. And finally after two full years of chemotherapy, high dose steroids and six other pills I had to take every day. I remember I had a handful of seven pills and I just learned to swallow them all at once because I didn't want to spend any time thinking about being sick. Let's take the pills and, and, uh, and, and swallow them down. Um, after two full years, I finally was considered in remission. And it was, a, it was an excruciating thing to go through. I feel even more for my family than for myself. I think being the one who was sick, I just kind of compartmentalized and I did what I had to do. I took my pills. I went to high school. You know, I, I, I did the things I had to do. Um, 
because my family also is extremely extraordinary, especially the women in my family. Um, the only time I've ever seen my grandmother cry, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors who immigrated to this country when my mom was a small child so that we could all live the American dream, right? My grandmother had a fourth grade education. I have an MD, right? So really did get to live that dream. But the only time I've ever seen her cry was after that visit with the nephrologist when he said I had six months and she was screaming at God to take her life and spare mine. It was, so I, I feel like knowing what it did to my family also helped me just stay strong because I knew that I had to fight for me and for them. And they also taught me that, you know what, um, you can't let life beat you up or take things away. You know, they had to survive being in prison, their families being murdered by the Nazis. And they made it through. And my grandmother was one of the most optimistic people you'll ever see. I mean, she was always talking about what a lucky girl she was up till she died in 99, that she's a lucky girl and, and was always focused on gratitude. And they taught me that if you wake up and you're free, it's a good day. You know, mm-hmm. at least I was in America and I had great doctors and, and I was able to get the treatments I needed. So at the two year mark, one week before college, uh, I was given my last chemotherapy and considered in remission, which meant I still had lupus. With lupus, you're considered in remission if you're not currently dying from the illness, you're stable, right? All of my blood tests showed that I had lupus. There's uh, antibodies called ANA and DSDNA and your complement levels, all that kind of stuff, all showed I had a disease, but my kidneys stabilized. I had protein in my urine, they told me I would have that for life because I'd had such severe kidney disease, but no longer stage four. I was considered stable, I could continue taking just the steroids and not need the chemo, and, and so that was considered remission. And you know, thankfully, my uh, habit of keeping myself occupied mentally during chemo was just to read all my textbooks cover to cover. Uh, I was already a nerd before I got sick, but, <laughs> but after I became sick, because I didn't know, you know, what if I didn't wake up and I feel, didn't feel well? I had to do well in classes. And my parents never gave me the idea that you could not go to school or not graduate. That wasn't even an option. It was, you have AP chemistry exam on this day, but you have chemo this day. So when are you going to study? Uh, so, so I still graduated in the top 10 in my class. I got a scholarship to Carnegie Mellon, which was my first choice. And I got to start school without chemo. So, you know, that was really what my life was like. I, I would get permission and then I could get some symptoms back. So even in college, I was considering remission, but I would still get arthritis. I would take medicine for pain. I would get a migraine. I'd take medicine, different medicine for pain for my migraines and for my arthritis. Um, if I didn't get a good night's sleep, then I would wake up with symptoms. Um, so I had to learn how to manage. And so I learned from a young age, one of the gifts of being chronically ill from a young age is learning the importance of sleep and self-care. Uh, that if I didn't get a good night's sleep, I wouldn't be able to go to class. You know, if I uh, got stressed out, then my arthritis would be worse and I wouldn't be able to function. So I really learned how to optimize what I could do uh, in my lifestyle to be able to minimize my symptoms and be able to um, to function as well as possible with the illness. Now, what really got me sick again was, you know, with, I just mentioned how important sleep and self-care are, I went to medical school. So really hard, uh, you said your husband's a doctor. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you were with him when he was in his medical training, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to sleep and have low stress and be in medical school, uh, even with the best mental health possible. So what happened was I, um, I got sick again in my third year of medical school. Uh, not with kidney issues, but instead I started getting um, double vision and I had an episode of being really confused and passing out in one of the clinics. And it turned out that I had a new antibody caused by lupus 
which instead of attacking my kidney was causing blood clots. So I had mini strokes. Uh, and so then I was told, okay, uh, you have mini strokes now. You'll always have them. So now you have to inject yourself with blood thinners for the rest of your life. Uh, that'll stop you from having blood clots, but don't hit your head because then you'll bleed instead. So that, and again, that's life with lupus was like, okay, even if you're on medicines, even if you are even in remission, there's things that can go wrong and it will progress, right? There's no stopping it. It's just trying to contain it. You know, it's kind of like I, I, I uh, talk about autoimmune diseases being much like forest fires, which right now the whole Western side of our mm-hmm. country is on fire, right? Autoimmune diseases like that. It's, it's raging, it's got momentum, and there's sparks that are flying that are going to just cause new fires. So with our medical treatments, we try to contain the fire and slow it down, but we can't ever put it out, not with medical treatments. Uh, but what happened to me was right when I was graduating medical school, I had the most fortunate thing that ever happened to me in multiple levels, which was that I met uh, my future husband, Thomas Tadman, and he wanted to marry me as a sick woman, which... It's not, it's a hard thing to sign up for, I think, at 28. You know, you fall in love, you think you've met the most awesome person ever. And then I had to say, well, you know, I have a disease where I'll never be able to have children. I'm going to become disabled. You're going to have to take care of me before I die younger than than you. Uh, It's not romantic. But he was just, he was my rock. And he just said, you know, I'd rather have a short life with you than a lifetime with anybody else. And I'm just going to make it the best on life you could ever have. So I said, great, <laughs> let's get married. Oh my gosh. Cause you know, I'd only ever dreamt of a white coat, never a white dress. I never allowed my brain to go into those places. I knew what I could have and make happen for me. And it was enough. Um, so yeah, so I, that's when things really started to change because my husband at the time was a celebrity trainer working with people on MTV and I wanted to look like MTV on my wedding. <laughs> so pure vanity. I wish I could say that somehow I had this brilliant idea about changing my nutrition. I didn't. I wanted to look really great for our wedding. Um, I was on the best diet to be overweight and sick. It's called hospital food. <laughs> hospital food will make you fat and sick. It's good for business for the hospitals. Uh, it's terrible for the doctors and medical. It's terrible for everyone. So, um, so he wanted to put me on a diet. Now his diet was super high in vegetables and omega three fatty acids, water intake optimal, but it still had meat in it. And for me, um, I had stopped eating meat when I was a teenager because I loved animals. So I was a vegetarian, but I ate cheese and eggs all day. I mean, I was living in Pittsburgh at the time where I would eat a salad. And in Pittsburgh, if you order a salad, they put French fries and ranch dressing on top. Oh my gosh. What? <laughs> yeah. So it didn't matter uh, that I was, you know, I was a vegetarian that didn't eat that much vegetables. <laughs> right. And if I did eat vegetables, it was coated in, in dairy and stuff. So yeah, pretty bad. Um, so he put me on this super clean diet. And instead of me, he gave me tofu. We'd never trained a vegetarian before. Again, Pittsburgh. So I was probably the only one. Uh, so he, uh, so what I, I did that, and I did lose weight really quickly. I'd always loved to work out, but I'd never seemed to really lose weight. I don't know if you can relate to that, but like mm-hmm. I would work out, lose weight, but if I ate like you know fries over the weekend, I'd be back up again to the weight that I was before. Like it never stayed off. So I changed my diet, kept working out, and what happened was. Um, Within three and a half months, I went from a size 11 to a size three. Uh, I was totally ripped. But even more exciting was, for me at least, was here I was as an intern working 30-hour shifts, highest stress I've ever had in my life. 
And I had no migraines. I had no joint pain. I had tons of energy. I had so much energy I can work a 30-hour shift and then go to the gym, which is not normal for people who don't have lupus. Mm -hmm. For someone who has lupus, it's absolutely unheard of. So what happened was uh, right at that three-and-a-half-month mark, we were getting ready to go to Hawaii to get married. We were just eloping with our best friends and our parents and my grandparents. I get it. So we're getting ready to leave. I had a brand new doctor in California where I was doing my residency and they ran my labs and they called me up and said, you're going to have to retake your labs when you come back because there was a mistake at the lab. And what was the mistake? They said, well, your labs were negative for lupus and I've seen your chart. <laughs> That's not possible. I said, you're right. It's not possible. So I went to had my wedding, came back and they were still negative for lupus and my blood clot antibodies had disappeared and my cholesterol, which I was told was genetic and it was not high because I ate all the cheese and eggs. It was purely genetic. Well, guess what? The cholesterol was normal. Um, and that was 15 years ago. And in 15 years, I've had two beautiful, amazing children. Um, I have remained completely lupus free for 15 years. I have no symptoms. I have no, my normal labs, even my kidney function is perfect. No protein in my urine, no blood clots um, for 15 years. So right as I was getting my medical training, everything I ever learned was turned on its head. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my husband and I, especially after my first son, decided to start researching the, the connection between your immune system, disease, and nutrition. And what we found was what we had done is accidentally created the most anti-inflammatory diet humanly possible. And so we tested it for a year where we reverse, you know, we reverse engineered it. We made sure there was no weird variables. You know, sometimes people get better in spite of something they did and not because mm -hmm. of it. We didn't want any of that. Um, we tested on people for free. And only when we could consistently get the same results did we share it with the public. So for the past decade, I have focused on disease reversal and I've helped thousands of people reverse everything from lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, heart failure, diabetes, you name it, all those supermarket foods. So, you know, I'm still a medical doctor. I still do use medicines, but it's, uh, it's for a temporary thing to help people stabilize while we actually work on reversing the disease and getting them their health back. This is just a fascinating story on so many levels. I mean, I, I'm trying to, I try to project into the listeners' heads and think, okay, what questions do they want to know? Because I know they're just like going to be a million miles a minute. Um, yeah. It's just such an amazing story. And so there's a lot of pieces. Let's back up to, to diagnosis and what our understanding and, and your understanding more than my understanding and as a whole mm -hmm. in the scientific community of why somebody gets lupus. What is the understanding of the etiology? Did, did you have anybody in your family? Do you think it was incited by poor dietary consumption without you knowing that that was the case? What's the understanding? So with lupus and really any autoimmune disease, there's multiple issues that are at play. So it's not like a light switch, like, you know, this disease goes on or this disease comes off. It's more like a storm, you know, cold front, temperature, air pressure, right? There's so many different components that have to come together in order to turn gene expression on for a disease. So, um, for example, you have nutrition. So I was definitely malnourished as a kid, not because I didn't eat a lot. Coming from Holocaust survivor family, I was constantly fed all the time, uh, whatever I wanted. And I was told if you're not fat, you can eat whatever you want. And so that was the thought back then, right? You don't have to worry about health, as long as you're skinny, eat whatever. So they gave me everything I love. So Chef Boyardee, macaroni and cheese, uh, ice cream, bread. Then my parents bought Domino's pizza franchises and I got to eat pizza every day, every day, usually for lunch and dinner because my parents also did the school lunch programs. So oh. I got to do lunch 
And then I'd come home and eat it for dinner too, because they'd be too tired from working all day to, to make fresh dinner. So I definitely had the nutrition issue. Plus, even when I was a baby, my mother's doctor told her that formula was better than breast milk. Right? Technology trumps nature, right? Um, oh, doctors, <laughs> we're taught nothing about nutrition in medical school. So, you know, the, the idea that somehow uh, we're going to come up with something better than nature is, is come up wrong every time. But human hubris, we still keep thinking it. Uh, so bottle-fed with formula, very malnourishing diet, even though I did like to eat fruits and vegetables, I did, but not enough to do that. My mom always had Diet Coke in the fridge, so why drink water when you can... It was diet because she was always on a diet. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so I grew up eating that way. Uh, when I was 14, both of my grandfathers died, one from cancer, one from uh, his eighth heart attack. He smoked cigarettes and ate tons of meat and would refuse to ever change it. Um, so I definitely had some loss. And they've shown uh, when they've done studies looking on people in mourning that their inflammatory uh, markers and cortisol levels are disrupted just like someone with autoimmune disease. So it definitely had an impact. Um, so for me, I think those were, uh, those were a part of it. And then puberty, you know, being a teenager. So what we found with autoimmune disease is that you have one, a genetic predisposition. All of us have a genetic predisposition to certain diseases. And that's just the hand that you were dealt, right, from your ancestors. Thanks, mom and dad, right? But the genes for illness need to be turned on on in order for the expression of the illness. It's why I didn't have any symptoms for 14 years. I didn't have lupus then, right? The gene expression was turned on. So just like someone with type two diabetes, highly, highly genetically transmitted illness must be turned on. If you're a vegan ultra marathon runner, you will never get type two diabetes, right? So you have to have the right conditions to set off gene expression. And thankfully, the right conditions can also shut off gene expression, which is something that is Really, that's, that's the crux of what I do, is turning off gene expression for disease, right? So we know that hormones make a play. That's why a lot of women get lupus when they're pregnant or going through puberty or uh, right after birth. Um, we, there are severe infections that can cause it. I've seen people, I had somebody who had a really bad drug uh, reaction that then developed autoimmune disease Sjogren's. Um, I've seen it from... Uh, I met with someone with a severe autoimmune disease that occurred right after her ex-husband committed suicide. Mm. Uh, so uh, mourning uh, and also trauma. You know, there was one study done where they looked at people in hospitals who were hospitalized for autoimmune. So obviously they're very sick if they're in the hospital with autoimmune. And out of the people who were hospitalized, 65% of them said that they've had a childhood trauma. So trauma is especially linked to developing autoimmune diseases. And we see that even in the celebrity world. Um, Lady Gaga has autoimmune, might be fibromyalgia. They've talked about it possibly being lupus, but um, fibromyalgia may or may not be autoimmune. It's definitely inflammatory. Uh, but they've shown that there's a direct link between PTSD and getting those symptoms. Um, and she's in therapy called DBT for people who have had trauma. Then you look at like Selena Gomez. She has lupus. And she's also on DBT, which is a specialized psychotherapy for people in trauma. And she said being in DBT has helped her lupus. So all of these things come into play, and it's different for every person. I've been doing disease reversal for a decade with people. Nobody has the same story. Nobody does. So it's really about all of those things, you know, making sure. And that's why I do holistic approach is, for me, I was already super grateful, super happy, um, and I liked to exercise. I just needed better nutrition. And once I changed my diet, my symptoms disappeared immediately. 
Then I saw treating people over time is that other people who love their jobs, great relationships, happy-go-lucky who happen to be sick, change their diet. A couple of weeks later, they're feeling amazing. Then there's everybody else, depressed, anxious, stressed, poor lifestyle habits. They just spend their time watching TV or whatever. Those folks take a lot longer, even with perfect nutrition. And so I realized that if I wanted people to rapidly be able to reverse their illnesses, I had to focus on healing their traumas and uh, helping them with the self-care, getting the best mental health possible, and applying the right nutrition. When you do all of those things, it's magical how quickly the storm can clear up. So interesting. So interesting how varied the stories can be and, um, and how it is really just a perfect storm. Okay, let's talk a little bit about approach. So when you first went to, you first got the diagnosis and they started the treatment, it was immediate to medication because that's what we're taught. And you know, that's what you guys are taught in medical school. And I'm a pharmacist. So I mean, that's what we do. We medicate. Um, yeah. Yeah. So at, at no point until you met your soon to be husband, um, was, was diet ever mentioned in any of the visits or consultations? The only memory I have of one of my doctors mentioning diet was my nephrologist told me that pizza was the perfect food because it had all the food groups. Now, granted, every time we went to the doctor's office, my mom would bring free coupons for pizzas to all so the staff. Funny. Like, Thank you. So, you know, he was probably just catering to that. But yeah, that was the only time I ever remember him saying anything about diet. Okay, so no, no mention of anything um, helpful with regard to diet. Then you meet your, your soon-to-be husband, and he is already living a healthy life. He's already eating healthy in a healthy way. Yeah, much healthier. Much yeah. healthier. What he was teaching back then was kind of like what modern paleo has become, right? Um, when people do it correctly, people call themselves paleo who aren't really following it, right? But he was having people eat you know, over a pound of raw vegetables a day, high doses of omega-3 fatty acids. And if you eat meat, it comes from free range sources, which are healthier sources. And what he found was people lost weight rapidly. They built muscle rapidly. Nobody ever reversed the disease though. Then he did the same program with me and took out the meat. And within a few months, a disease I'd had for 12 years of my life disappeared. So that was, it was just one of those things. And what I found too in my work is that people who add what they're missing, they add the raw vegetables and the omega-3s and water intake. If they're eating a little bit of meat, I can often help them get into a remission or at least dramatic improvement, but we take away the meat and then those labs fully reverse. So that's why there are people who will say like, oh, you know, I'm doing better, but I'm on this diet instead, you know, that any improvement you make in the quality of the food is going to make a difference in your health. And the more improvements you make, the more dramatic the difference can be and the more complete. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm anticipating people thinking, okay, well, I mean, that's, that sounds awesome. I would love to do that, but you know, like my husband isn't going to be on board with that. Then I'm going to have to make two meals and I'm going to have to make hamburgers for him. And so talk us through a, um, you know, how to, and you, I'm sure you do this when you work with your clients and your patients, how, how does this practically get um, started in somebody who is not previously, maybe somebody who is also eating pizza most of the time and, and some meat, how do you, how does this look practically in the people that you help? And how do you recommend to begin this when maybe not everybody in the house is going to be on board with it and they might be, you know, in isolation with regard to their diet and the shifts in their health? Well, there's multiple topics kind of combined together there, right? So one is um, a psychological issue, which is coming up with objections before you actually take action. So the mind is really good at coming up with reasons not to do something hard. And that can keep you feeling really busy because you're thinking about it. What about this? And what about that? And it gives you a reason not to start. So I really recommend people just focus on, I'm going to do this. 
And then once you, once you make a decision, your brilliant mind will come up with ways to solve the issues, right? So I think that, that that's one thing I work with people on is, is really getting them focused and motivated rather than distracted. I actually, I just posted that on uh, Instagram the other day uh, where I wrote something to that fact, like, are you focused on the reasons why you can't or are you just taking action, mm-hmm. right? So I try not to let people spin around that much um, because taking action is actually pretty simple. What I teach people, I try to make things as simple and easy to do as possible. So listen, if you're trying to improve your health and you're not currently dying from the disease, you don't have to dramatically change everything tomorrow. You can start just doing better. So the approach I like to take for folks who are just trying to get healthier is pet what you're missing, right? So the foods that have been shown to uh, optimize cellular repair and reverse disease, optimize your immune system, are those raw vegetables, especially cruciferous vegetables. Those are the most magical because they're the most uh, nutrient-dense vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, everything that your body uses, they're all in there. So you could eat the rainbow and still not get all the nutrition you could have gotten from eating a pound of kale. Uh, so I, I don't care about the rainbow. Kale's the answer, right? And it's kind of funny that I saw mm-hmm. a meme on Facebook where someone wrote, what's the key to eternal health? Please don't say it's kale. Please don't say it's kale. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's kale. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> kale, broccoli, cauliflowers, cruciferous, but really, especially those green ones, they are so full of nutrition that if you make a huge part of your diet come from that, you're going to already create such better health for yourself. Even looking at cancer, the only food that's been shown to be truly cancer-proof or, or make you more cancer-proof is, uh, is cruciferous vegetables. They are so amazing, and most people avoid them like the plague. They use it to decorate the buffet, but they don't actually put on their plate, right? Um, and then omega-3 fatty acids. Flax and chia seeds are awesome. You can get them at Sprouts Market for $1.29 a pound out of a bin. So I like those because it's the cheapest way to do it. You get the whole seeds. And um, omega-3 fatty acids are the key ingredient to your anti-inflammatory immune system. So just like meat, dairy, oils, processed foods create inflammation, well, you need to also create the anti-inflammatory immune system to eliminate the inflammation. And that's part of the problem people have is that we do need the omega-6, we do need the inflammatory pathway. But when the inflammatory pathway is out of control because it's being fed by every meal, then you're going to really trigger all that gene expression for disease. So, so many people, they eat meat, dairy, oils all day long, right? And then they eat nothing, no omega-3s, right? Or if they do, it's from some fish that was cooked and the omega-3s got, you know, they're, they're heat sensitive, so they're not getting that benefit. So, um, so flax, chia seeds, whole form, and then you just grind them to order. And water intake, water is essential for eliminating illness and cellular repair. And most people are so dehydrated. And by the way, the most common symptoms of dehydration are uh, low, not, or low energy and headaches. Think about it, and constipation. So you think about how much money people spend on pharmaceuticals and on energy drinks because they're tired, headache, and constipation. They're just dehydrated. They just drink the water. So it eliminates a lot of the symptoms people have right now, and it allows for disease reversal. My clients and patients will take, drink 96 ounces to a gallon a day. So what I've done is I said, okay, most people, they don't like to drink water that much. They don't know what to do with flax seeds and they don't like to eat kale. What do we do? So my husband and I came up with a smoothie solution where you get a high power blender, like a Vitamix, right? You pack in the greens, you take a handful of flax or chia seeds, throw it in there, put some frozen fruit in that makes you happy. Maybe some bananas, pineapple, mangoes, right? And then you put the water in there and blend it. 
and you've got all the things that your body needs to reverse disease and optimize your health, and you just sip it through a straw, and it tastes free. So you've got to make sure it's packed in there tightly, and we give out free recipes at smoothieshred.com. Uh, smoothieshred.com, we created a free website just as a public service. You don't have to enter your email address or anything, and you can look at free videos, free recipes for smoothies, and we did that because we want people to have access for what they need to do to start getting their health back. So if someone who's generally healthy just adds the smoothies, they're going to have more energy, better bowel movements, and they're going to have disease resistance as well. People who are sick, then we start getting a bit more strict because, you know, if we think of that forest fire and we think of meat, dairy, oils, processed foods, sugars, all lighting more fires, we don't want to do that, right? We want to, we want to douse that fire as quickly as possible. For those folks, I take a more extreme approach where we stop them from eating the inflammatory foods focus on a plant-based diet that's super high in the raw vegetables and mega freeze water and get the fire out. And then after they're healthy, they can consider sometimes having inflammatory foods again. So, you know, the more extreme the illness, the more extreme the approach, but everybody can start by adding what they're missing. And it's super easy You make a blender. It takes five minutes. You just drink that by the end of the day and you're nourished and you're hydrated and it's a great way to start. Yeah, I love your approach of just making the decision because I do think that a lot of this, I mean, you know, when I ran a marathon, it was a mental game. You know, we can do hard things and um, it's not like these foods are bad. I mean, they don't taste that bad. It's just that we aren't taught to eat them. So we have decided already, maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously that we don't like them. We don't want them or our family won't eat them. And, um, you know, and I, I'm a huge smoothie fan because I think it does, it is so e it's easy, easy right? to, yeah, to, to get all of it in. It, see, it, it makes it so doable and that's what we, you know, we look for convenience. That's why fast food is such a, such a big booming business and yeah, that's yeah. easy. It's consumable. It's fast. It's convenient. So I, I just had a rheumatologist come see me. She has lupus and she's a rheumatologist and she came to see me because she had a patient who was looking really good, who wasn't taking her medicine. And she said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm on the goodbye lupus protocol with Dr. Goldner. So she made an appointment for herself and I'm looking at the <laughs> diet and this rheumatologist is eating bacon cheeseburgers, hold the bread, you know, and thinking that that's going to make her healthy, right? And she's fit looking, she does CrossFit, and she eats tons of meat and dairy, but, but no, uh, no bread. And she said her whole life, her mother never liked vegetables, so she didn't feed them vegetables. And she had lupus by 13. And I was telling her, I said, you see the connection, don't you? You've never had vegetables. You've always eaten tons of meat and dairy, and you were sick by 13. And she said, I'm starting to see it. Yeah, we got it. But I'm so excited because every time I get to treat a doctor, I know that there's going to be thousands of people under them who are going to get better at the same time. But it's very, it's, that's why I say doctors have no idea. But it really is easy. So for her, she doesn't like vegetables. Smoothies sound fine because it tastes like fruit. Okay, I can do that. And I can do that while busy, right? You right. can take smoothies to work and drink them. It's so easy. That brings up a really good point that I actually wanted to ask and was think I was kind of thinking as you were talking, what has been the response? And I'm sure that has shifted as more information has come out, but what has been the response from the medical community? You know, have you have you had the gamut of response? Like a few thinking you've lost your mind or or ha have, you know, because I know that there, you know, there are some really there's old school docs who, you know, maybe are not ready to embrace this. So I'm just kind of wondering how that looked. Yeah, you know, um, it, Anyone who's ever met me or talked to me, they're convinced right away. Um, I, because, listen, I mean, you talked to me, one, I was a patient. I did three years of genetic research at Carnegie Mellon. I'm an MD. I was chief resident in my residency. You know, I'm not someone you could just say, okay, you know, she doesn't, she's not a scientist or something, right? So I, I'm definitely, I, I think that that's been helpful 
right? Because if you went to your doctor and said, I read about this, um, you know, personal trainer who says to drink these juices and, and you're going to get your health back, they'll roll their eyes. But it's different when it's coming from me. So I think I get a little bit more gravitas for that reason. Mm-hmm. However, um, yeah, about a decade ago, when I first started putting this stuff out there, the only people who found me found me online or found me through my book by Lupus. And their doctors would say, this is ridiculous and stupid snake oil. Even though I wasn't selling anything, I'm just telling people where to shop. Fine. You know, they didn't believe it. Now, uh, I get referrals from rheumatologists, neurologists, surgeons, uh, internists. Uh, so I get referrals all the time. And at least a quarter of my practice is taking care of doctors, nurses, and pharmaceutical reps. Um, I have a pharmaceutical researcher. Uh, right? So the people who know the most also find me. Uh, I recently just helped someone who is a, she's an ER doctor fighting COVID who reversed her lupus with me, an ICU doctor fighting COVID who reversed her migraines with me. So um, I think nowadays, especially doctors who are still reading research and still learning, they know very clearly that this is, this is true, right? I mean, the research, nothing has ever shown uh, the effect or benefit of, of disease reversal from nutrition like a plant-based diet can. People can try to show short-term results, but not the long-term, right? Um, so it is changing, but yes, there are some old school docs who have stopped reading research. They're not watching the documentaries, right? They're not reading the new books about this stuff. And you know what I always say is, listen, if you don't know, you should say that. You can't cause any harm by saying, I don't know. And I, I, even as a, as a physician, I say, I don't know all the time. You know, I do live Q and A's for hours as much as I can to help the public. And sometimes people will say, "Hey, have you ever, you know, I, do you ever do you know anything about this?" No, I'm sorry, I haven't treated someone with that because I don't like to make things up. If I treated someone with your illness, I'll tell you what happened. But if I haven't, I'm not going to try to have a theory about it. I think that's disrespectful to the patient or to the person who's asking. So when you ask your doctor, "Can nutrition help my disease?" They should either say, "I don't know," or "Yes." Right. If they say no, I actually consider it malpractice because I took a pledge to do no harm. And when we tell patients untrue information, we're doing harm to them because they could have found the information from someone else if they said, I don't know. Right. So um, I, I think it's it's one of those situations where it's changing. It's changing slowly. Uh, part of the reason is because our own government, you know, it, the setup in our government is that they receive money from industries and then they're also supposed to pass laws that are supposed to be good for people. How do you reconcile that? You know, I've testified to the USDA twice now and I get three minutes to testify. And then the rest of the room is full of people from meat, dairy, beer, wine, sugar, processed meat. I mean, so all these people are testifying about how great their products are. And I'm sitting there as a doctor trying to save lives. So it's, the system is still very much against us. And the doctors are taking their cues, you know, from what the FDA recommends. Just like for cigarettes, they knew in the 50s cigarettes caused emphysema and cancer. But until our government came out with the attorney general finally said uh, in the, what was it, in the late 70s or early 80s, finally said that cigarettes caused cancer, that's when doctors started saying don't smoke. The research was already there, but they weren't reading it. They were smoking themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's a very difficult process. So yes, many doctors are in the know. Or they know there's something to it, but they don't know much about it, in which case they can tell you to go learn it from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I do come across it, especially in nephrology for some reason, kidney doctors. I think they're so busy or something, they're not reading this stuff. Um, but I helped somebody, I published this, who was end-stage lupus nephritis. She was end-stage kidney failure on the transplant list. 
who did my rapid recovery group where she worked with me every day for six weeks. And in six weeks, she doubled her kidney function, got off the transplant list entirely using nutrition. And her doctor, who'd been following her for nine years that she'd been kidney failure, he said, uh, it's, I don't know what it is, it's a miracle, but it's definitely not the food. So now he's religious instead of looking at science, right? I mean, the science is right in front of you, she changed her diet, she got better. No, no, I don't know what it was, but it's not that. But you know what, this is now four years later, she still has not needed a transplant, she's still living her life. Uh, and I published multiple case studies in, in kidney, uh, in reversing kidney failure, and now I have some new ones coming out that we some showgrounds. Um, but the majority of my time I spend working with the public because that's where more change happens. The doctors, you know, they're reading what they want to read. I think it's public pressure that's going to be what finally changes things. Really interesting. I think uh, what, what really stood out for me is I think that, you know, a lot of times we think if we don't know when we have gone through all the training that we've gone through, you a lot more than I have. Um, that equals no, you know, like if I don't know, then it must be no. If I haven't heard of it or if I haven't been told of it or, you know, some study didn't cross my path, then it must be a no. And to, to not go that route and to not default to that and to just either say, I don't know, or yes, because I, there's still so much we don't know as a medical community. Uh, there's no way we're ever going to know everything. So I think that that's a really important point for people, for both the medical community that's listening and lay people to, to, not necessarily allow a one no from a healthcare professional to mean that's the end of that discussion that, you know, maybe to, to seek further information. So that's super that's helpful. For everyone, right? I wish people would only give opinions when they were valid. It, it's like, you know, you can ask your buddy about how to invest your money and your buddy has a dollar in the bank account, but they'll mm -hmm. have an opinion, right? So whenever people ask me, you know, well, what do you think about this person who said you shouldn't have a smoothie or this person said this, go, why would I listen to that person? How many people have they healed from a disease? Why are you listening to that person? Mm -hmm. So whenever I need to learn something or I want information, I find someone who's been successful at what I'm trying to do and I just do what they say, right? And so unfortunately, yeah, if you go to a doctor and they say no and you just trust that they know everything, which, you know, you should be able to trust that, you can, de it, you can definitely, uh, you can hurt people. And that's why I think that it's malpractice. I think it causes harm to people and doctors are not taught for some reason that it's okay not to know things. I think it's like ground into us, you know, when you're attending is grilling you and asking you about like the, the differential diagnosis. And if you don't know something, then you're shamed in front of the whole group, right? Whereas I don't know, is just part of being human. Mm -hmm. It's so true. <laughs> you can always say, I don't know, but I'll look into it. That's what I usually do. I don't know, but I'll look into it. I'll learn. You know, it really is the culture. Cool probably not just of medicine, but it, it is the cold. I mean, even as a pharmacist, it's like you're, nobody is accepting, I don't know. Uh, and so you, I mean, I get it. I've been through that, that and my own profession and watching my husband, it's like, yeah, you are, you're, you know, pimped and ask all these questions and um, you better know, you know, you don't have an option to say, I don't know. And, uh, but there's so much, there's so much strength and power and I don't know, but I will find out that's something I can go learn. I don't know everything. You know, I don't, shouldn't have to know everything and nobody's expecting me to know everything. So yeah, really just um, really powerful. A lot, a lot of what you said, um, I think could bring up, you know, we could have all of these side conversations, but really powerful insights. What do you think, what do you think your life would have looked like had you not met your soon to be husband? Do you, and I know that obviously it's impossible to say, well, but let's be. next month we're married 15 years. Yeah. I mean like back then, let's say you never, you, yeah, I know. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. I mean, he, and he's he, 15 years lupus free. So it's I was going to say it was an amazing 15. Yeah. yeah, big anniversary for both of us. What would it would have been like? Well, you know, um, obviously I would have continued to be chronically ill. 
Um, the predictions based on just the regular course of lupus that started as young as mine and had as many complications as I had, there's a good chance I would have already been disabled. You know, I'm in my 40s now. Um, and, you know, by my 40s, I was expecting to be disabled physically. Uh, instead, when I turned 40, I got to be on the cover of a fitness magazine, which was wild. Now, it was fit over 40, so that's kind of like you look good for your age, but I'll take it. <laughs> I um, would take it. <laughs> but it was one of those things where it was like, how am I an example of fitness and health when I'm supposed to be this chronically ill, debilitated person? I know the scariest thing for me was when the mini stroke started because I'd always expected that I wouldn't have a lot of physical ability. I exercise and stuff, but I'm not an athlete. I'm extremely clumsy. There was no plan B for me besides being a nerd. It wasn't like I could have had a career as an athlete or something else. No, this was it. Um, so when I had the blood clots, that was terrifying for me because the brain was what I was counting on. I figured I could be in a wheelchair and practice medicine, but if I lost my mind then, or my ability to think and do the work that I did, that was, that was the lowest point I ever had really was about two weeks of, of kind of coming to terms with that diagnosis before I came back to a place of gratitude. So I think if I imagined my life without meeting Thomas, it would be, I definitely would have more physical illness. Um, I wouldn't be able to make the impact in the world that I do. Um, my plan was to treat the homeless and that's what I did early in my career and I loved that work. So I think I would have a lot of satisfaction for my work. I still would be a positive, grateful person and I would have a lot more illness. Instead, yeah, I have beyond level of, of satisfaction for my work. I mean, you know, you hope as a doctor you can save some lives, but oh gosh, it makes me cry just thinking about the people who've gotten their lives back who are on the brink or who are home disabled, who are now out there. Um, getting married and going hiking, who are traveling the world, or at least before COVID, people who got a second chance at life the way I did. So, um, you know, like I said, my default is gratitude. So I know no matter what, if I was still alive, I would be looking for gratitude, but I wouldn't have the children. Uh, I wouldn't have this ability to give back on the level I do now. And I wouldn't be able to save as many lives as I do. So, um, <laughs> it's kind of hard to imagine my life having gone any other way. And that's why I'm always very grateful. I'm grateful that I was sick because of the kind of the superpower it gave me to be able to heal and then, and then give back that healing to people at such a large scale. You know, so many people I talk to have a similar ending to where they feel like it's their superpower. Like if I didn't have this, how could I have possibly made this significant of an impact? And so the world is so much better because of what happened to you and how you persevered through it. And uh, shout out to, to Thomas. I don't know him, but uh, th thank you for, uh, thank you for, you know, helping this progress in the direction that it did. I think that, you know, it's, it's just really wonderful to watch, a, you know, dark moments turn into such light for so many other people. So I really do appreciate the work that you do. And um, I don't want to miss out on the end with, with having, and this will all be in the show notes, but how do people find more information about you? I know you mentioned the, the smoothie shred, but wh where can they find you? So for people who are, uh, if you're just looking to stay motivated and stay informed, I am really, really active on social media. So if you look at Goodbye Lupus on Instagram, on Facebook, or at veganmedical.com on Twitter, I'm posting every day. Some of what I post is to educate you about diseases, like today I posted about reversing Hashimoto's, um, and other posts are about like, get started, don't give up on yourself, and my wisdom to try to keep people motivated and happy, how to do self-care, how to improve your mental health, so I'm very active there. For people looking to actually get more help, if you go to goodbyelupus.com, I have online classes where I teach disease reversal, 
I have appointments, I have programs where you can work with me every day for four weeks or six weeks. So goodbyelupus.com. And I treat you with all different kinds of illnesses, but um, Goodbye Lupus was my first best-selling book and of course my story, so that's why it's called that. And, and by the way, you know, when you were talking about the dark stories, that's what I tell my kids that I treat because I've treated kids as young as two years old with lupus and, I, and they know superheroes. So I always tell them, this is your origin story. This is your origin story. You know, because the origin story of the superhero is always a bit dark, right? They got radiated. They had something terrible happen, right? They, got, they had to leave their home planet while it was being destroyed, right? There's this, but this is your origin story and it's going to make you so strong and you're going to be able to do amazing things. So I think for all of us, if we can embrace what happened to us, and then fight for the best life we can have, then yes, the worst thing that ever happened to us can become the greatest gift that we give the world. So beautiful. So amazing. I really appreciate all that you have shared with us. I, and I know there's so much more. Uh, we could not even possibly pack in all of your goodness, but um, yeah, thank you for sharing all the places that people can find you and how they can work with you, either one-on-one or a group setting, and even just get some free information, which I love too. I love that that's an option. So thank you so much, Dr. Brooke Goldner. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Goldner, for joining us on this episode, sharing your insights, your own personal journey, and some of the transformations that you are seeing as you help others on their journey. I continue to be so pleasantly amazed by the ability of food to truly be medicine for us and uh, much better medicine in many circumstances than what medical advances have given us not to take away from some life-saving medications, but really and truly focusing on how to nourish our bodies and allow them to heal in the amazing ways that they know how to. So thanks again, Dr. Goldner. Thank you to all of you for continuing to listen and following us as we continue to mind our wellness. I'll see you here again next time. 